All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, bought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, a man named Ananias, together with his wife, Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself and brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before you sold? And after it was, it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then some of the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you conspire to test the Spirit of the Lord? Listen, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young man came in, finding her body, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard these events. This is the word of the Lord. Take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, as we were, um, just before we met, uh, started the service, we were praying, and I just pray this morning that you would soften our hearts. Soften our hearts towards you and towards one another. Father, you know, you understand how challenging it is to live in our culture. But you are sufficient for us. Would you help us? Would you help me this morning? In Jesus' name. Amen.
Um, I didn't think I could delegate this morning's passage to anybody else, by the way. Uh, as you'll find, it's quite a challenging uh, passage that we'll come to in a minute. If you're able to put uh, one of the slides up, that'd be great. A number of years ago, uh, four or five years ago, I managed to persuade my lovely family to go on a little bit of a road trip with me. And I managed to persuade them that I wanted to go back to where I was born in Yorkshire. One of the places I was growing up, we lived in, was just on the edge of the Orchard Dales. And ever so often, when we had some free time as a family, we used to go on a walk in a town called Richmond. It's kind of a market town in, the York, in Yorkshire, quite well known. And one of the things we did, we'd go walk uh, around the castle on the, by the river, skim stones. And there's this place towards the end um, of a waterfall in Richmond. And this is the waterfall that I remember in Richmond. And one of my great memories that I had as I was uh, a young child was of seeing canoeists go off the edge of this waterfall and just being, as a seven-year-old, in awe. I mean, just in awe of, wow. This was Yorkshire, clearly, so it's God's own county. Just need to add that. And also, it was the fact that what they were doing is beautiful. I loved it. I was with my family. And then seeing people uh, canoeing off the end seemed incredibly dangerous and amazing to me. I still held it in great awe. When Joe, Joshua, and Hannah came with me, having heard me talk a little bit about it, we got to this place on the particular day we went, and there was a trickle of water going over a very small waterfall. And, you know, I don't often speak ill of my family, but they laughed. <laughs> they laughed because my memory was of something extraordinary, yet when we turned up and saw it, it seemed so modest, it seemed so small, it seemed so insignificant. I think I've mentioned before that when I was a student, towards the end of my student days, I went on a flood relief trip to northern Argentina. And after the end of doing uh, the kind of work we were doing, we went on a little trip, a little coach trip. And we ended up going to this place. It's called Iguazu. It's in northern Argentina on the border with Paraguay. Now, my friends, that is a waterfall. <laughs> Let me just tell you, that is a waterfall. And the reality is, when I looked at that, all my little Richmond waterfall, while still very beautiful, I might add, was put into its proper perspective. So this morning, what's the substance? What's the essence of the God you believe in? What's the essence of the God you believe in? Is this gospel? Is this Jesus? Is this Christianity? Christianity? What's at the heart of it? Are you in Richmond? Or are you at Iguazu? Are you in Richmond? Or are you at Iguazu? Said at the beginning, we've taken a little bit of a Lenten detour, thinking about listening to God over the last six weeks. But today we get back into the book of Acts. It's the amazing account of the birth of the church in many ways as we know it. 
as Jesus leaves the earthly scene and then leaving the earthly scene, the most shocking part of it is he then entrusts his mission and his ministry to us. I mean, 2,000 years on. We're called to continue Jesus' mission and his ministry. Preach the good news of God's kingdom. Care for the sick. Heal the sick. Don't just care for them. Heal the sick. Take care of the poor. Release the oppressed. Make disciples. Usher in God's good kingdom and see the renewal of all things. Acts paints this amazing picture as the church is bursting into life, as the Spirit of God and the life of the Spirit is taking hold of what are essentially normal people, people like you and me. And there's a beautiful phrase in verse 34 that essentially I kind of going to shape a lot of it around. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them. God's grace was so powerfully at work in them. In other words, God's grace and all that God had done for them in and through Christ was evident. It was on display. It was real. The generous grace of God in and through the work of Christ on the cross and his resurrection and the release of his spirit was creating this radical new community which is in stark contrast, contrast to the ancient world in which this community was growing out of. For example, where the poor, the widows, and the orphans weren't cared for. Here we see in this passage, people are sharing everything. Acts of compassion, acts of generosity are the norm. People aren't hoarding holding on. They're sharing. And the kind of picture that it talks about, that Luke records, is a people of one heart and one mind. So what we find is that this community is continuing in Jesus' generous mission. It says again in our passage, in this post-Easter, post-resurrection Sunday, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. The cross, my friends, this is not a go at Catholics, just thought I'd add, is empty. The cross is empty. The cross is empty. Jesus has been resurrected. And so the question, in a way, and that underpins lots of what we're going to look at this morning, is how big is the God you come to worship today? Is the God that you're worshipping today, for example, subjectively, bigger than the God you worshipped last year? Is there some sense of growth in your understanding, in your experience, or your, um, your life that means that the sense of God's greatness, his majesty and power continues to grow as you understand more or appreciate more of who God is? As the writers J.B. Phillips and John Young both write, our God is too small. 
Our God is too small. Or as John Young, our God is still too small. And if you don't have, and the reason I'm starting here this morning is this, if you don't have a big picture of God, this morning's passage will be really difficult to you. It will be a struggle to make sense of it. Because why this morning? Why, oh why, oh why? Would you sacrifice fully and wholeheartedly to the church or to God, whichever of those you want to use, when you could simply look after your own interests and maybe your families and maybe your friends? I mean, why, why would you do that? Why would you sacrifice everything when actually deep down we know how difficult it is to live And so the temptation, the great temptation, is just a sacrifice for those we love. But in God's upside-down kingdom, it's not self-love, but self-giving sacrifice that prevails. Sharing what we have, their possessions, their money, their lives, their time. Because ultimately everything is God's. And we have it on loan. So we can share our stuff and give it away. We haven't got a death grip on our possessions. And of course, our constantly that's quite difficult in our culture because our culture constantly asserts the fact that this stuff is mine. I've worked hard for it. I've sacrificed for it. They're mine. It's mine. And actually, it's really difficult to make it in Bath. Because it's expensive. Lots of people have lots of expectations. And actually the temptations that crowd around us and cram into our minds means that we end up getting more and more and more tight around our stuff. The Bible says if you've experienced God's grace, and this is what Luke testifies to this morning, you'll have a radically different way of regarding your possessions. Full of the spirit, the generosities of these early Christians looks very drastic to us. Yet this unreasonable generosity led to a deep, deep oneness of fellowship and a loving community. In the year 252, um, there was a a tremendous plague in the city of Carthage. The healthy people were leaving the city in droves to try and uh, survive and for fear of their lives. They had to get out because they didn't want to be contaminated by all the people who were suffering from the plague um, in case they lost everything they had. And in the middle of that panic, the great Christian leader Cyprian drew together all of the Christians in the center of that town. That town was a place that actually had persecuted Christians. And Cyprian said to the Christians of that town, he said, if we're going to do what Jesus did, although he was rich, became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich, then I call you now to fan out through this town and give both personal and financial aid and care and comfort to all according to their need. Not just to the Christians, 
not just to the people we like, but to all, including your enemies. All of us are called here, said Cyprian, to follow what our master did. So this first challenge this morning. So how are you going to be generous this week, today or this week? Who can you bless in your life by acting out of love rather than fear? What will enable you to have the heart of Joseph in this passage, Joseph the Levite, also called Barnabas, who's willing and generous, rather than Ananias and Sapphira, who are selfish and dishonest? It's quite a polarity, isn't it? Who will we choose? How can we bless Would the gospel again, the gospel of Jesus, touch our hearts and our minds this morning and our wills so that we'll pour out in generosity to those around us today? The picture that we find here in the early church is pretty uncompromising. I remember a couple of years ago, I was in a meeting and I said, it just feels like the picture is all in. It's all in. Christianity is not some kind of lifestyle choice to add to everything else we do, but the grace and the saving grace of the general, generous God in Christ who gave everything for us, bore it all upon a cross so that us, weak and powerless, could be redeemed, renewed. Christ overcomes sin, death, and hell establishing his kingdom here on earth and calls us in obedience in response to follow him as our Lord and King and to join in his mission. The pitch is of being all in. I mentioned before, this looks really difficult to us, particularly in the 21st century when actually the temptations and the challenges of living well in our culture are wanting to work work out how to live when actually people are longing to have everything, longing to have a life in all its fullness in every area. But Bath is difficult, it's expensive, pressured. People are very successful and we get caught in comparison, comparing ourselves with others. And so do we really need God this morning? Or are you really just relying on ourselves? Do I actually owe God everything? The great reformer, uh, Martin Luther, used to get up every day and look up to heaven and say this. He used to say, God, you are my goodness. I was your punishment. You took everything I deserved and was, so I can receive everything you deserve and are. I'm rich. I'm adopted into the family of God. I have an imperishable inheritance. And I'm going to shine like the stars in the kingdom of my Father. Even now, God's holy power and joy has come into my life through the Holy Spirit. And it's begun to grow. And it will eventually swallow up all of my foolishness, all of my sadness, all of my grief, all of my weakness, 
all of my sin. I am rich. I am rich. Christians are not paupers, but heirs, Paul writes, of God's kingdom. Trillionaires, as one writer would want to challenge us to think of the grace of Christ, not just gathering up the crumbs of the table, coming sort of unworthy to God, but seated in a place of honor in God's family with an inheritance that is secure, that doesn't fade. It's so wondrous, so extraordinary that everything else pales into insignificance. These Christians in the early church were selling their assets, placing the money at the disciples' feet, and the grace of God was so at work that they only wanted to bless. They wanted to bless. They wanted to give. They weren't trying to hedge their bets, thinking, do you think I've done enough to please God? The question they're not thinking about is, can I get away with doing this? The question they are kind of, how can I join in with what God is calling me to be and to do? How can I bless Jesus' mission? How can I give generously out of the generosity that God has shown me in Christ? When I was a student, I know this is a long time ago, just like to add that, uh, a very long time ago. I remember going on a conference one weekend. Uh, it was up in the delightful seaside town of Blackpool. I did live in the north. And there was a Christian conference for the whole weekend. And at the end, you got to this Sunday session, got to lunch. And at the end of the Sunday session, as Christian things often do, there was an offering that went round. They kind of called for an offering. And actually, you know, we all know, we don't do it very often here in this church, but, but actually, if you've been around church, you'll know. And as I stood there, I sort of thought, ah, oh, okay, God, what do I need to give today? And as I was praying the prayer, I asked God, God put a figure into my mind. And that figure was quite large, and I was a student. And so I stood there, I thought, well, God, you've said that, but that's a bit too large. I'll halve it. So I wrote a check for half the amount, poddled up to the front, joined the worship, put it in there, put it in the basket, and went back to my seat, thinking, job done. But then I stood there, overwhelmed with a sense that I'd shortchanged God. I'd asked God to speak to me. God had put something in my mind, and then I'd halved it. I'm laughing now because we're through it. And so as I kind of realized increasingly that I had essentially just shortchanged God, I rewrote the second half, the second check with the, half, the other half, puddled up on the walk of shame uh, at, the end of the, at the end of the meeting and went and put the other half in. And actually peace and joy returned. This account of Ananias and Sapphira that you'll find at the beginning of chapter 5 is shocking, is really shocking to our ears today. And actually, it's incredibly sad. They choose, remember, in our language, they choose to give to the church. They actually probably gave a very large amount. 
way more than a tithe. Yet, they withhold from the church and withhold from God what is his. And on top of that, they choose to lie. Lie to the Holy Spirit, as it says, and lie to other humans. And there are deadly, literally deadly consequences. And actually, in many ways, the kind of almost casualness in which this is written is almost as shocking. It does fit with other parts in the Old Testament where God's judgment comes instantly in dramatic circumstances. So this morning, do you hold in your heads a kind of reverent and holy fear for God of an all-knowing, all-powerful God? Or have we lost a vision of who it is we're serving, who it is we're united to, that God's holiness, his righteousness, his justice, and his truth really matter? Ananias and Sapphira suffer the ultimate fate of disobedience. And today is like a warning to us if we're slightly unsure this morning of how to apply this to our lives other than the vicar saying, give lots of money, it's going to be all right. It does actually offer a warning to us. The warning of pretending, of going through the motions, of being disobedient to God. Our obedience to God does really matter. Chatted to someone over the last couple of months, another church leader in the city and I was saying this to someone else recently, is that when I chanted this person, he said, you know, I'm just surrounded by people who make terrible decisions every day, all day, at the minute. I was kind of, oh, mob word. And actually, our, our obedience and our discipleship and our following of Jesus does actually matter. We're called to serve his purposes not our life isn't our own indulgence. The choices each day, what we do with our time, our money, our family, our colleagues, our body, does matters to God. God longs for our hearts and our lives, our minds, our bodies, our wills, to serve him and him alone. And the kind of warning in a sense of shortchanging God will ultimately bring disobedience will bring judgment, sorry, I mean, from our disobedience. In my own life, I've seen it again and again when I've chosen to go my own way, to do my own thing. It's literally just a matter of time before everything ends up in a pile. And actually here, it's far more dramatic, far more uh, than that, as basically Ananias and both Sapphira lose their lives. So the, the kind of challenge for us in this season we've got this Sunday we've got APCM next week and then a giving Sunday over the coming over the following weeks is you in the light of who God is in the light of what God has done for you in the light of his majesty and his splendor do we just need God to do some housekeeping allow God to do some housekeeping in our life or some reordering in our lives because without God first in our lives Without God first in our lives, we won't be able to enjoy the thriving, the peace, the fruit of God's kingdom that we all long for. The resurrection life that Jesus came to bring us. 
So let's just be still for a minute. I wonder whether you just close your eyes. Let me just pray a few things, um, and then we'll come into worship. I'm just going to leave some quiet for a bit. I realize this passage is very, very strong. Heavenly Father, would you increase our vision of you this morning if we're struggling to believe that you're generous and good? Would you reveal yourself afresh this morning to those who are really struggling with that? But Father, I pray, would you also show us, individually, but also as a church, how we can put into practice that generosity in blessing others. Holy Spirit, come afresh upon us, inspire us to see who we can bless, who we can give to, who you've brought in our paths that we can help. And if, like me, when you read some lines, you think, yes, God, but all the kind of things we're challenged to think about, about elderly relatives, about our own children or grandchildren and caring for them, our wives or our families, and thinking, Lord, how am I going to do all this? Holy Spirit, would you come afresh and help some of us who are struggling, who are struggling with fear and anxiety? that actually so many things have become too big in our lives that we need to put you back on the throne in a sense. Father, would you help faith arise out of all that you've placed within us? And Father, where we've fallen short, where we've taken the road of Ananias and Sapphira rather than the road of Joseph, forgive us. Forgive us, Father. We're sorry. Cleanse us, we pray. Release us from our possessiveness and our fear of being without. And would you come afresh as Jehovah Jireh, the great provider? And Father, would you, for us personally this morning, would you help us to live as heirs in your kingdom? Live like you have come to us already, that we are thoroughly saved, that our future is secure, and we can live freely for you. Father, would you extend your territory amongst us and beyond us for your name and for your glory?